The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Well, yeah, our Sunday series during the season of Lent is called Significance. And we are looking at the life of Christ as told by the Apostle John in the gospel that bears his name. And we're learning what a life of significance looks like from him. And of course, as we've been talking about all morning, this coincides with our significant sacrifice. And as we are giving things up and setting that money aside that we would have spent on those items, we are going to collect all of that on, on Palm Sunday, as Ben mentioned in his prayer. And all of the money goes to LifeWater, a local organization that provides water and sanitation and hygiene for people in the developing world. And LifeWater tells us that $40 can provide water for a lifetime for one person. And so this sacrifice is going to uh, be actually a a joyous expression that's going to change lives. And so we're really excited that many of you have decided to journey on this with us. Well, have you ever experienced anything that you would consider a miracle? I want to show you a picture right now that was passed around the internet and through email inboxes just a couple years ago. And uh, you can see, uh, by this picture, you can see where the truck is now. And you can see way over on the other side of the picture where the people are pointing, you can see where the truck went through the guardrail. And you can sit there and go, I have no idea how that truck got from there to the other side. Now, I'm not sure if you would consider this a miracle, just looking at this picture as it is right now. But let me zoom the picture out a little bit and show you the same scene a little bit further away. Whoa. (laughs) Now, I was a little skeptical when I first saw this in this day of Photoshop and everything else. But uh, actually, CNN has reported that this happened just outside of Hurricane Utah. And the police chief there has confirmed that, yes, this did in in fact happen, and that is a real place and a real accident that happened. Now, many people say that is a miracle, that that that, that truck uh, landed where it did. Now, a miracle is any extraordinary event that you can't explain by normal natural or human causes. It's something that is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Now, John's gospel has many miracles in it. He calls them signs. And today we are going to look at the very first sign, the very first miracle that Jesus performed. And many of you looked at this story in your neighborhood life groups this week. And we won't always look at the same passage as neighborhood life groups, but I thought it would be fun today to to take a little bit deeper look at what you talked about, many of you, in your group this week. This miracle took place at a wedding banquet, and I want to read the story for you now. It's in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. 
Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Again, this is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this story, and we pray that as we talk about it some more, that you would point out those things in this story that reveal the character of who you are, and that show us how you want us to live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a wedding in our culture is often a multi-day event, isn't it? Very often there will be a bachelor or bachelorette party several days before the wedding. And then family and friends will will gather. They'll begin to come in from out of town and stay in hotels and, and at various houses in the area. Then you have the rehearsal dinner which is followed, of course, by the morning of the wedding and all the preparations that go into it, hanging decorations and nails and makeup and maybe some pictures are taken. And then you have the ceremony and all of, all of the elements of that ceremony that work together, the processional and the giving away of the bride and the exchange of vows and the exchange of rings. And of course, this is followed by the reception, which often has food and cake and toasts, and sometimes there's dancing. And it's a great celebration. A wedding today can be quite an event. The same was true for weddings in the first century. There were many uh, similarities in those celebrations to what we have today. Family and friends would come together from long distances. Many would arrive early. They had a whole series of rituals and traditions that happened prior to the wedding day. And then on the day of the wedding, it was marked by feasting and singing and rejoicing. The bride would wear a wedding dress and jewelry and ornaments, and both the bride and the groom would have attendance. But whereas today's ceremonies tend to end as soon as the reception ends, their wedding celebrations would go on for a week or maybe two weeks after the ceremony. And it was the groom's responsibility to provide for all of his guests for as long as they stayed. Now, running out of supplies so early in the festivities could have been a real problem, disastrous for a man in this culture where shame and honor was such a big part of their lives. Running out of wine was a big deal. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they had been invited to this wedding ceremony. And I want you to take a minute and just imagine him there. Imagine him smiling. Imagine him enjoying the time with the people, even laughing. If you only imagine Jesus as somebody who's stoic and who has this far-off gaze and maybe a glow about him, then you don't know the humanity of Christ 
If you can't see him as somebody who would attend a joyful event, as somebody who had real human emotions, then you don't know this word that became flesh and lived among us. He was not only fully God, but he was also fully human. So I want you to imagine him for just a second, standing there with his disciples, with other people, smiling, telling stories, and laughing. But then his mother came and interrupted it all. They're out of wine, she said. Now Mary knew what this meant for the groom and for his family and the embarrassment that would come along with it. And so she decided to do something about it. So she went to her son. She went straight to him. Mary knew where to go when things ran dry. Did she know exactly what Jesus was going to do? We don't know. But we do know that she believed that he could provide in some way in this circumstance. Mary knew where to go when things ran dry. Where do you go when things run dry? I'm not just talking about wine now. Where do you go when love runs dry? When the feelings have changed? When your spouse is is not all that you had hoped that your spouse would be? Where do you go when patience runs dry? Do you go to something that's a quick fix, an easy out? Where do you go when hope runs dry, when you have nothing to look forward to and the future seems bleak? Where do you go when faith runs dry, when you don't know what you believe anymore and you're filled with doubts? Mary went to her son And we would do well to do the same thing ourselves, to go to Christ when things run dry and allow him to fill us with love and patience and hope and faith. You know, I love the interaction that happens between Mary and Jesus in this passage. It's one of those circumstances where you go, man, just having words is not enough here. Mary comes up to her son and he says, they're out of, and she says, they're out of wine. And I imagine that she gave him one of those looks that only a mother can give, right? They're out of wine. <laughs> Jesus replies by addressing his mom as woman, which some of you guys are thinking right now, hey, I'm going to start calling my mom woman because <clears throat> Jesus did it. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Well, let me say that this address was not nearly as disrespectful back then as it is today, or it might be today. Some have suggested you could translate it, dear woman. Uh, And while the address is not necessarily endearing, it's also one that's thoroughly respectful at the same time. So don't get any ideas, okay? Jesus continues, what concern is, is the wine to you and to me? Again, I wish I could see his facial expressions here. Words just aren't enough. Did he smile with a little smirk? Was he just stone-faced? I mean, I want to know what what he was doing here. And then Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. In other words, it's too early for me to start doing things like this. Jesus' hour was going to come on the cross. And he didn't want anything to stand in the way of that great mission that he had. Excuse me. 
Jesus showed great restraint with his miracles because he, didn't, he was only going to do something if it was in line with God the Father and God the Father's will for his life. But Mary wasn't having any of that, was she? As if she hadn't heard anything that her son said, she turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. And I'm imagining that as she walked away, she turned and she gave another one of those looks to her son. (laughs) And after this second statement, Jesus decided to produce the wine. But it wasn't just because of motherly manipulation. He also saw an opportunity here to carry out the will of God because he saw an opportunity to instill belief in those disciples. These men that he had gathered around him, they had quite a journey ahead of them over the next couple years. And it was so important that they would get a chance to see who this Jesus really was. And so the last verse we read in verse 11, it said, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So the act of turning water into wine revealed God's glory through Christ in a way that these men had not seen before, and they responded in faith. This miracle was important to Christ because it brought about belief. If there is one message in the entire book of John, it's this message that we all need to come to a place of belief that all of us need to place our faith and our hope in Christ, and nobody else can do that for us. Even Mary needed to place her faith in Christ. And that must have been an odd and confusing journey for her to take, because it meant looking at her son differently, letting go of him in some ways so that she could embrace and receive him in a new way. I love what D.A. Carson has said about this. He writes, Mary had borne him, nursed him, taught his baby fingers elementary skills, watched him fall over as he learned to walk. But now that he had entered into the purpose of his coming, everything, even family ties, had to be subordinated to his divine mission. She could no longer view him as other mothers viewed their sons. She must no longer be allowed the prerogatives of motherhood. It's a remarkable fact that everywhere Mary appears during the course of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is at pains to establish distance between them. This is not callousness on Jesus' part, for on the cross he makes provision for her future. But she, like every other person, must come to him as the promised Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Even Mary needed to receive her son as Lord and Savior. So as we immerse ourselves in this story of Jesus as told by John, I pray that as you encounter more miracles and you hear some of Jesus' teaching, that it would inspire you to place your faith and your hope in Christ. Back to the story. Jesus told the servants to fill six stone jars with water. And once they were full, he had them put a cup in and take the liquid to the chief steward. And when the chief steward tasted it, we all know what had happened. He had turned the water into wine. This gift was both extravagant in its quality and in its quantity. Let's talk about the quality for just a minute. 
The steward says, everyone serves the good wine first, but you have saved the best for last. This was good wine. This was Paso wine. <laughs> this was not that Napa swill, right? This, this, was, this was good wine. You know, just as some people have a hard time imagining that Jesus could have had a smile on his face and been a part of a celebration like this wedding, many have a hard time believing that Jesus wants the best for them, that Jesus wants the highest quality existence for them. All they see are commands. But behind those commands is a God who is trying to teach us the best way to live. And in order to experience it, we have to trust his definition of quality over the world's definition of quality. So Christ gave generously in terms of quality. He also gave generously in terms of quantity. There was an overabundance. Now, my son Michael knows a little something about overabundance. He, he believes that if you have something that's good, you can never have too much of it. So a few weeks ago, or actually it was last weekend, I was making chocolate chip pancakes in the morning, and he was right here the whole time kind of looking over me saying, that you need more chocolate chips, you need more chocolate chips. And then if you're making chocolate chip cookies, and if I were to step away and just put him in charge, we would end up with more chocolate chip than we would actually cookie in the mix. This is not just, it's not just about those times in the kitchen that he believes in an overabundance. He's also, he's got this science project right now where the assignment is to make something that is powered by a motor. And so most of the kids are using one or two motors or, or something of that nature. Michael has decided that his boat that he's made needs 11 motors. I, I have a picture of it here. <clears throat> See all those, those cords going in there? That whole inside is filled with batteries. I have no idea how many are in there or how it all works together, but it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, Michael believes in overabundance <laughs> of good things. Jesus knows something about overabundance too. Did you catch how much wine he produced? Our, our passage said 20 to 30 gallons, and there were six of these stone jars that held 20 to 30 gallons. And John makes a point of saying that they were filled up to the brim. So that's somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of wine. 180 gallons is roughly equivalent to 908 bottles of wine. Now, before you start jumping to conclusions about all of this, John didn't tell this story to endorse public drunkenness or uh, binge drinking. Uh, Scripture all over the place is very clear that God wants us not to, to go into excess in these, areas, in these areas. But this ridiculous quantity of wine tells us something about Jesus' lavish provision for his people and what he is capable of. And I wonder, do we live in the awareness of this abundance? Jesus gave freely and abundantly because he knew that he had an endless well to draw from. He knew that he could give because there was no limit to what he could provide. He had an attitude of abundance. And often I believe we have an attitude of scarcity. We're afraid to give freely because we're worried that everything is going to eventually run dry. We're like the guy that Jesus told the story about who built these barns to store all of his grain. But when he had an abundant harvest 
and the grain did not fit in his barns, instead of giving generously, he just built bigger barns. And if you've read the story, then you know that this man, his life was required of him that day, and he never got to enjoy all of the grain that he had laid aside. And Jesus called this approach to life foolish. When you put your faith in the one who is able to give generously in both quality and in quantity, then you learn that you don't have to hold so tightly to your resources. You learn that you can give generously to the things that make God smile, like providing water for people in the developing world. And God wants us to give generously in other ways, too, not just with finances and resources. He wants us to have an attitude of abundance when it comes to things like love and patience, things we've talked about already, kindness and forgiveness. We don't need to withhold these things for fear that they will dry up because when we stay connected to God, then we have an endless supply of love for imperfect people, of patience with people who move at a snail's pace, of kindness for the brokenhearted and forgiveness for those who have fallen. So as we have seen, Jesus provided abundantly at this wedding. Will you put your faith in the one who not only can turn water into wine, but can raise the dead to life? And will you follow his lead? Will you give abundantly, trusting that God has an endless supply to provide for all that you need? If you will you may just find yourself living a significant life. Please bow and pray with me. Lord, we are in awe of the abundance that that you do provide for us. And Lord, we we know that you desire the highest quality for each and every one of us. But sometimes we have a hard time believing that. So Lord, instill faith within us, instill trust, so that we know that even through hard times and difficult times, that you are working for the best, that you are working for the good. Lord, help us to trust that you do provide an overabundance so that we can live, first of all, in the peace of knowing that you are the God who provides but also so that we can give generously ourselves. We ask these things in the precious name of your Son. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.